0: So one of the things that's happened this week you may not know about is we had our Honduras mission team return back from, uh, from their time together, our youth team. So I want to invite Timothy to go ahead and come forward, and uh, we're going to hear a few stories this morning from our Honduras team. And uh, so, again, you can get the microphone. Mic- Randall has the microphone. Timothy, i hand it over to you, brother. I guess it's on.
1: Hey, I'm Timothy. Hey, good to see y'all this morning. Um, We, by we, I mean me and a few others that you can see in that picture right there. That's our team, half Stonebridge, half Vintage. Actually, I think it's a little more than half Vintage. Uh, We left last Friday, April 1st, to go to a place called Waimaca, Honduras, which is a little north of Tegucigalpa, the capital city. Um, So we left April 1st, which... I really seriously considered when everybody got to the airport with their families being like, April fools, we're not going. And we're keeping your money. Um, but apparently parents don't think it's funny when you joke about taking their kids to foreign countries. I don't get that. But anyway, so we left last Friday, got back this past Friday. We had an awesome time. We went to serve at a place called Orphanage Emmanuel. Um It is a place that houses about 500 uh, kids without families um, from birth to... I mean, as long as they want to stay, I mean, they have a lot of special needs folks that stay there for a while into adulthood. Um, so, and they have about 20 staff. So if you think about that, it's 20 adults for 500 kids. And a lot of parents are like, What? Yeah, it's like that. So we just went down there and served any way we could. We did everything from play with kids, do crafts, activities, uh, lead devotionals. We led stuff in their church services. We worked on their farm. We did maintenance work everywhere. We did. We kind of did everything there was to do. Someone on our team actually fought a forest fire. I'm not saying who, but he might be me. That's um, <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, and so we're going to have a, a, a few of the, uh, the folks from our team share that. first, Gracie Parker, who was on our team. Um, I think she's too short to be seen in that picture. Oh no, she's in the front, <laughs> the one with the hat on. Um, she made a video, just a real quick, that kind of like, that kind of like, uh, kind of encapsulates our time there. So, we have a video to watch
2: now. It means the word, the word in Spanish for deep is hondo, H-O-N-D-O. Okay, hondo was a an O, so an H, hondo. Okay. That's, that's the word for that. So when you say onduras, it's the pearl for that, and it means depths. Like in the Bible, when we read about the watery depths, the ocean depths, that's what it means.
3: <laughs>
1: Um, All right, so let's get Josiah, come on, and let's get Sarah, and AK, and Gracie, they're going to share with us. Come on. Get on the side of me, bro. Just take your time, Grace. Grace. (laughs) Gotta figure <laughs> gotta figure out a video situation here. Anyway, so um Josiah, what was your favorite group of kids to be with? Um,
2: <laughs> um probably medium boys.
1: Mean too, medium boys. That's like eleven to fourteen ish. So now Josiah's gonna share something from the trip with us? Um,
2: overall it was just an amazing trip. Um we didn't really do the project because um, they couldn't figure out how to get the concrete in and at the right time but i mean we still did a lot of fun stuff um we did some chiseling in a wall to get water back into a house um for babies um we worked on the farm played with a lot of kids um, it was just an experience it was a lot of fun um the team worked well together we had really great chemistry. Um, God was there. It was amazing. Um, at one point uh, uh, at one point, David Fitzpatrick was praying for me for arthritis, and um, I was like, "God, I really need a sign." Um, I was like, "I've been distant. I just need something to show me that you're here." Um, and he was praying, and David Scott just started singing louder and louder and playing the guitar and he was just praying and praying and at one point he was like I command you to leave and from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet I just felt a tingle and every pain was just gone Um, everything was gone Um, so that was definitely the the peak of the the trip for me Um, God was just there Um, and overall it was just awesome um Um, I mean, probably soccer or while we were on the farm, a lot of, um, the big boys were throwing rocks at me, <laughs> um, like re- like actual rocks, not like, not like little dirt piles or pebbles, like, like large rocks. Um, and I, when I felt like a rock hit me in the head, I was like, <laughs> what? And, um, so we just kind of had a huge dirt rock war. Um, so that was fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah, what was your favorite group? My
4: favorite group was Medium Boys um, basically because Eduardo was in it and that is, in case you don't know, he's like my second, or not my second because I don't have children, but my child. Um, you want me just to go? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I came into this trip feeling like with no expectations just having struggles with being happy and anxiety and stuff like that and when I came in, it was just an overwhelming feeling of, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I on this trip? Like, I'm just going to hang out with kids. Well, once I hung out with Eduardo, God really spoke through him to me, it felt like, because he was just the most selfless and happy child I've ever seen in my life. And, sorry, <laughs> um, he really just told me, he's like, do you know god and i was like yes he's like i love him i was just like (laughs) like i couldn't say that because i've been so distant with the lord and at this point i just feel so full of the spirit and like i have no reason to be upset i realized because these kids have gone through absolute honest hell and just are so happy and so just not afraid and just so selfless and just I watched them work with special needs kids and they this kid had stuff all over his face and just slobber and spit and it was honestly disgusting but Eduardo and this kid Oscar were just sitting there cleaning him up wiping him up and just they prayed for me and just all these different things and it really just made me realize like the Lord loves me like I have no reason to be afraid I have no reason to be upset when my father loves me so much. And so I just feel so full of the spirit now, and I just can't wait to see where it takes me.
3: the most
4: fun thing? The most fun thing I did was hang out with Eduardo and Oscar and take them to Tienda,
5: <laughs> the store. Good? Okay. Um
1: group? Oh,
5: power toddlers. What's a
1: power toddler?
5: They're like four, five, and six-year-old, and I felt, I felt the cutest little kid I've ever met. His name's
6: Ben Oh, yeah. was
1: so cute. So, so power toddlers, they divide them up into like age and stage. So a lot of times there aren't like exact age groups, but it's kind of like, okay, you fit this this sort of general group or whatever. Um, and they have this group of four, five, and six-year-olds that were just too rowdy for the toddler house. And so they start to say, oh, y'all know, y'all, you have that age, you're like, I know. I have power toddlers. You to power toddlers. Um, you're welcome for whoever understood that. Um, but uh, there's this kid named Benjamin Benjamin, Benjamin Benjamin, and his favorite thing to do, well, with me at least, is he would, like, tell me to hold him. And then he would, like, throw his arms back like this, like he was going to give me a hug. And his hands were just big enough where he could fully grasp each side of my mustache. <laughs> and then he would just pull as hard as he could. But he's, like, the cutest kid in the world. So I was like, ah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Anyway, that's what a power toddler is. <laughs>
5: okay. Um, so when I came to the trip... Um, uh, I hadn't been really hearing God's voice, sort of. Um, I probably, he was speaking to me, but I probably wasn't listening the way I should have been. And um, so when I tried to hear his voice, I kind of doubt like he's probably not going to, because every time I try to, he never really does talk. And so um, I went there, and I we were at worship one night, and I went to Timothy. I was like, I can't hear his voice. And he's like, you probably hear his voice. You just don't know. And so... Um, he talked to me about that, and the next day, I was supposed to share about what I had been hearing from God. I was like, I was like, uh, I just, like, had this talk yesterday, that I was supposed to take a break from God. But I'm about to talk tonight about what I've been feeling. And I was, like, freaking out. And so, David Scott, he's the pastor at, um, Stonebridge, he went and he talked to me, and he's like, Hey, hey, what are the positives from your trip? And I started naming them. And then, uh... And then I was like, oh, wait, I've been feeling this. So, like, um, I go to Mount Perrin, and everyone there is rich, and I'm not. We're average-class citizens. And so, <laughs> so, um, so they get, like, everything is new, and, and, like, new iPhones and stuff. And then I'm, like, sitting here, like, um, I don't, I, like, it kind of affects me, and it makes me want to have more. And then I realized these kids, they have no AC, 100-degree weather every day. They share a bedroom with, like, ten other girls. And I'm here, and I have, like, a lot more than them, and I'm still wanting more. And they're thankful for what they have. And so I was like, I need to be more humble. Because everything I have, I like, I'm satisfied with what I have. I should be satisfied. And so, yeah, that, that was what I had heard from the Lord. Okay, so two things. Um, ben, hameen because he's so adorable when we had a water fight, a water gun fight. And then the second thing was there's um, uh, you know um how like I don't know, but there's like this big pool of fish, tilapia, and Andrew, Josiah, and I, we um. We went in there, and we just swam with, like, thousands of fish. It was so much fun. And there's, like, living water. And so, like, when you took off your clothes, you would see, like, algae in your clothes. But it it was fun.
3: So,
6: yeah. Hello. Oh. Great. What was your
3: favorite group?
6: My favorite group was the Power Toddlers as well. Um, and I spent every single day with them. And I didn't say this in the last service, but let me just tell you. The Power Toddlers are up on top of this hill. And I mean, like, a two-mile-high hill. And so if you went to hang out with the Power Toddlers, you were taking, like, an hour and a half of your day just walking to and from. So you had to really want it. Okay. Um, so a story that they told us on the tour was that Wade, who's this man from, like, the deep, scary depths of Alabama, speaks in the most country accent I've ever heard in my life. But, oh, he was at the very beginning of the video. He was like, this is Honduras. Is that him? (laughs) Um, Who is also fluent in Spanish. Um, He was telling us a story about how he moved, he went on a trip to Honduras and then just ended up staying and literally never went home and married one of the orphans and stuff like that. And he went home for a couple weeks or a month and all these churches he he was visiting were just graciously being like, here is $13,000, here is $10,000. And he was like, I accumulated around $50,000 just in money. And then at the same time, the orphanage was getting huge shipments in of food, like massive shipments, like filling a whole warehouse and plus some. And when he got back, he was like, all right, we have way too much food for our orphans, and it's all going to go to waste, and we have no idea what to do with it. So that was their first problem. And then around four years ago, post all of this food, um, there was another orphanage about seven hours north of Orphanage Emmanuel, and they were a government-ran orphanage, so they made more money according to how many kids they had. And the people who um, were running it were using all of that money selfishly, paying their staff, using it for themselves. So all of the kids were not being fed at all, like, at all. So the orphanage burnt down, and Orphanage Emmanuel got 93 of their 120 orphans. And they were like, okay, well, there's the answer to the food problem, because this was right after they got the food. And they were like, thanks, God, like, thanks for all this food that we didn't know what to do with at first. But mommy and poppy of the place were like, we, have, we don't have places for these kids to sleep. We don't have blankets, pillows, or anything. So they were praying a lot about it, and they went and asked someone. They were just talking. They were like, okay, well, we, have, we figured out the sleeping situation, but we don't have blankets for any of them. Like, we can't have them just sleep without blankets. And one of the people who were unloading boxes were like, no, I'm pretty sure I saw a box of blankets. And they were like, no, I emptied out every single box. There's none. And he was like, no, it was the one with the shoes. And she was like no, I emptied with the shoes, and that box was empty. And he's like, just go check again. Under the shoes were 93 blankets. So, um, so that was really cool, and I was just like, wow. I'm going to try not to get emotional because I did first service, but whatever. So then after that, I kind of realized, like, not that what we have here is necessarily bad, but we, I think, just, I don't want to say we doubt God, but we're not completely aware of how, like, they prayed for blankets and they got 93 exactly how many they needed and these kids are praying for oh i hope the power doesn't go out so i don't sleep in my sweat and stuff like that and we pray for just so such materialistic things i feel like they're what they pray to survive and we pray just because maybe our car needs to start or we need a good grade or we pray for enough time to get coffee and it just kind of tore me up that i don't think we not necessarily all of we but They pray for things that they're not going to have unless he provides it. And I think that we pray for things that if it's not answered with prayer, it's answered with money or it's answered with asking somebody to do it for us. So that kind of that like really tore me up. And it was just kind of like a realization that um, he provides blankets and he provides power and he provides air conditioning and food to these kids who don't have parents. And it just kind of showed me like, geez, I pray so selfishly. And I just think that might that might be a word for us universally..
1: Whew. So there you go. Um, I, just, I just want to encourage you like so. Um, Steve said at the beginning uh, or after we did this the first service he was like hey y'all who went on the trip like God isn't done doing the stuff and you like press into it process it or whatever Um, and I think when stuff like this is shared it's not just something that you can hear about and be like oh that was cool for them like I think there's some sort of availability for you if you hear it to say like hey I want that I want that realization like that sort of did something like piqued my interest It, it, it did something in my heart like so if any of that stuff like resonates with you like ask for it because I do like I think we need to be disrupted from time to time you know what i mean like i think we can get like real into every day humdrum sort of the rut and- and miss stuff, like miss the fullness of what God has for us. So I'd say, like, if any of that asks for you, like when we have ministry time later on, come up and get prayer for it. If any of their stories, like, resonate with you, get one of them to pray for you. Like, do whatever, you, do whatever it takes, because um, when God does something in one of us, a lot of times it's for more than one of us. It. It's, for, it's for all of us. Um, so, anyway, yeah, uh, get, them, get them to pray. Like, think about it. Um, that's, a, that's all i got, Steve. Good. Thank you.
0: All right, there you go. And as we uh, move forward, obviously we have a, I have a mission trip coming up to Scotland. We'd invite all of you to go on that who'd like to go. And uh, God's going to continue to do great things. We do missions, and I hear this, there's lots, y'all may not know this, um, but there's lots of pushback in parts of the church about short-term missions because there's so much money that's poured into short-term missions, Right. And uh, and one of the things that we've experienced, we talked to our personal missionaries about this at length. You can go read Tammy Hutchins' book that she wrote, uh, called um, what's it called, uh, Thriving and, and Missions. She basically says, in this whole chapter on short-term missions, she says, the idea of short-term missions is simple. If you go just to experience but not be changed when you come back, then don't, don't do short-term missions. But if you go do short-term missions with the expectation of being changed and then living your life differently than when you come home, then do short-term missions. And that's the picture of what we experience here is that we go on this trip not just so they can go, hey, they had a great trip and put another notch in a mission trip belt. It's so that you can go and be changed. And then live for God's kingdom from that point forward And so I encourage you, that's why we do short term missions I invite all of you to go I'm asking each of you to pray for each of the people that went on this team If you don't know all of their names, that's fine You just pray for them, for the people who went, right? And, And I want you to just pray that God would take these youth who went And what he started Let's pray for grace for completion of that. Amen? Amen? All right. Very good. Well, let's dive in this morning. I, I know we're already at the top of the hour, so I'm not unaware. But I do want to name this this word from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Turn your Bibles there with me, if you would, please. And I want you to see this. As we read this, I want you to recognize Paul has just stated. Don't read it yet. Paul has just stated I've become all things to all people that I might win some, a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greeks, a weak to the weak. He says, I do I do this so that I might win some to Christ. He then goes on and says, everything I do I do for the sake of the gospel. And I don't want you to lose sight of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is not that He came and so we could could be saved and go to heaven. That's not the good news. That is a fraction of the good news. That's a massive part of the good news. But the good news of Jesus is that, yes, He left heaven to come to a fallen world. He lived His life and experienced all of our tensions, all of our struggles. He was tempted in every way that we are. That's good news, right? He was tempted in the way that we were tempted. That he, he withstood it and did not sin He died in our place That's good news He was raised to new life So that we could have new life That's good news And then he sent his spirit to empower us And that is good news and so when Paul says, everything I do, I do for the good news It's this massive picture of the victory that Jesus won Through his life, his death, and his resurrection And the sending of his spirit So there'd be salvation, that there'd be healing There'd be freedom from the work of the enemy Right? That, that we could pray for Josiah And all of a sudden his body could tingle in the moment And he could have healing This is the picture of the good news. So when Paul comes up, everything I do, I do for the sake of the good news, recognize it's this whole big picture of the work of Jesus. And then he comes in in chapter 9, verse 24, 27 and says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it That you may obtain the prize Every athlete exercises Self-control in all things They do it to receive A perishable wreath But we an imperishable Basically we run So we may get an imperishable Eternal gift So I do not run aimlessly Hear these words. I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. But I want you to recognize that there was this thing called the Isthmian Games. They were second only to the Olympics in Greece, right? And the Isthmian Games were actually held in Corinth. And thousands of visitors and thousands of contestants would come and do Olympic-type stuff. They would run. They would box. They would throw javelins. They would do discus throws, right? And they would come, and they would literally camp themselves. They didn't have housing, so they would literally camp themselves in tents outside of the grounds where they were doing the game. This was a huge deal, right? They had their own LeBron Jameses of the world. They people were known. It was part of their culture. And in 51 AD, the Isthmian games came to Corinth while Paul was there making tents and preaching the gospel. And they came We don't know this for sure But there's a really good chance That Paul went down to the Isthmian Games He erected tents on behalf of the athletes And Paul, doing what Paul did Probably shared the gospel And a very good chance He led some of these athletes to Jesus It's pretty cool and so, the language that Paul is using then, of talking about running and talking about boxing, it's a metaphor that every single person in Corinth would understand and connect it to the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games, you can't connect to it, so think Olympics. And you think about Olympic runners. Have you ever sat back and thought about how Olympic athletes spend four years, possibly sometimes for one race? Can you imagine the type of energy that they invest into this? The type of time that they give to how it literally, in a sense, it literally leads their life. It defines who they are. Everything that they do revolves around this. And Peter, excuse me, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, he uses this as a metaphor because he understands it because he's experienced it. He's probably rubbed shoulders with these athletes himself. And all of them knew the names of people who would have been runners and boxers in the day As when he comes and speaking he is creating a scenario that all of them can understand and dive into something they can connect with And he shares this and hear this he shares it because it mattered deeply how the Corinthian Christians lived their lives like how they lived their lives, how they expressed their lives, what they did on a daily, on a daily schedule, it mattered how they lived their lives. If you were, how many of you were here last week when Scott spoke? Scott came and spoke and connected his message and had a time of prayer revolving around certain topics And some of those things that y'all prayed into and talked about one Number one was simply the father's love, right? The way that parents love their children The fact that the father loves us in that way And the fact is that in this we then have a need of having our heart and our passion for the father rekindled Why? Because he said, Scott said, like so many of us who have in our own lives, we can go days and weeks and some of us even months without even connecting to our parents. That it's not difficult for us to kind of find ourselves having this disconnect with our own parents. And unfortunately, the same thing happens in our relationship with Jesus. He's a, a great metaphor himself, a great picture he, he got in prayer. I said, our relationships so often are like like waning campfires that basically we're warming ourselves up to really close to the embers because the fire is gone, but instead we must turn to the place that we have now, a raging bonfire of a relationship with Jesus because when we have a a raging bonfire with Jesus, then others will come to it because they have no fire and they get to experience our own bonfire of passionate, loving relationship with the Father. And so there's this thing, it it matters how we live our life. Paul, it matters how we live our life, right? We have to have this raging bonfire. We need to refocus our gaze fully on Jesus. He said we have to repent. We have to turn from living living a life not focused to living our life focused on on Jesus. He is all that matters to us. We're passionately in love with Him in a raging bonfire. And in this we have have a a reawakened call. Like a daily call of purpose that defines our life. This is what Paul is talking about. He's looking at these these men and women in Corinth, these Christians, his spiritual children, saying, guys, you and how you live your life, it is important. It matters deeply. And he creates a metaphor of a runner and a boxer in the Isthmian games to make them and help them understand how they need to be living in their life. The first thing he says in verse 24, It says, I want you to run like you want to win the prize. Verse 24 it says this. Do you not know that in a race, in the Isthmian race, right? All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. So run like that. Run like you're gonna win the, the one who's gonna win the prize. We all understand this nature of running, right? Runners don't simply run because they love to run in the Olympics, they run because they want to win. They train because they want to win. In the Isthmian Games, an athlete had to commit 10 months of training. And if they did not fulfill that training, they could be disqualified from the race. 10 months of training, 10 months of having all their energies, all the best of themselves focused on one race. They didn't, hey listen, they didn't even get like a gold disc. They got a reed. How lame is that? And they gave themselves to it. In this Everything they did in the months of the race Had one goal in mind The prize I'm running for the prize And nothing can take my attention Off of it The prize For us, it's imperishable It is eternity It's this never ending communion we have with the Father What is the prize that we are to, to go after That should set our gaze upon we go after? It's this, in this gospel It's this the good news, the fact of who Jesus is, who he is to us, how he moves in our life, how powerful he is. All of those things I've named about the good news of Jesus. This is who he is, right? It's the life Scott spoke of last week of intimacy with the Father, birthed from our passion for him, leading us to a joy-filled life of obedience. I serve God because I have to, because I get to, because I love him. We return as revelation says to our first love we go from a waning campfire which defines what our relationships look like with Jesus to a raging bonfire that others are drawn to This is what we're getting at. This is our prize It is our primary focus. It energizes our actions and it defines the way that we run this metaphor of running is imperative But here's the beautiful thing. There's not just one prize the language of Paul is not competition I'm not competing with you. You're not competing with me. We are all competing, and we all can win the prize. That's the nature of it. It's not a message of competition among us. David and I are competing. Dude, I'm going to get there first. No, you ain't. And you were like, I'm not competing and jockeying. It's like, David, we're running the same prize. We're both going to get it. It's going to be awesome. Let's go. David's like, all right, man. Let's do it. It's this nature, the prize is out there, so the idea of what Paul is kind of getting at is this. Th- he's saying, think about this is another way of saying it. In this run it, think about that one. Think of Usain Bolt. You know Usain Bolt is one of the fastest men in the world. He doesn't lose. Like he like toys people. He looks at him and smiles and then takes off. He has the extra gear. It's crazy. Let's watch him run. Go. You've never seen it. YouTube. Usain. U.S.A.I.N. Bolt. It's a great last name for a runner, right? And so he just takes off, right? So he's saying, think about that one. Think about the Usain Bolt who wins the race and all of the effort, the discipline, the self-control that enable him to run. This is how you should run your spiritual race of going after the prize of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying Everyone is a winner Who runs after With the eyes set on the prize And runs to the best of their ability He goes on to say Number two Do not run aimlessly Verse 26 It says this I do not run aimlessly I do not Box is one beating the air Paul is naming Listen This is the issue That Sarah named That Anna Catherine named I think that Josiah named And definitely Gracie named We run aimlessly. We're living our life defined by our culture, defined by going after stuff, right? Defined by wanting to be in relationship with people and make them like me, whatever it is, right? Having control of our situation. But Paul is naming this concern he has for himself and his readers. Paul recognizes human frailties, our natural tendency to meander off course. The two metaphors he uses... Running aimlessly and boxing at the air. Please tell me all of you have seen a boxer get dazed and then turn away from everything sort of like this. And boxing the air. Whenever that happens, I go, oh, poor guy. All right. Bless his heart. <laughs> right? Because they look silly. I mean, boxers who are boxing into the air, they just look like idiots. Right? They really do. Go Google, or go YouTube, nunchuck fail. Have you, ever, have you ever seen "Numchuck Fail? Raise your hand Go YouTube numchuck Fail You've seen it, right? It's hilarious There's a guy out there And he like, he's like he's like, this guy and He's going to do his numchucks And he's doing this tape for stuff And he gets up and he goes like this he goes Like this, kind of cool And he does a flip And he lands short Bangs his head And he goes like this, right? And he just, And I watched it 30 times And I laughed like I was crying For 30 times in a row And that's what Paul said Don't look like don't be nunchuck fail, right? Don't do that. That's what it looks like. So, so don't be nunchuck fail. That's what he's saying right here. Don't be nunchuck fail. Don't beat you in the air aimlessly. Because what I find is this. What we see in both of these is a lot of energy exerted with no impact. That's what Paul's attacking. This is where we have to pause. In both of these, we see a lot of energy exerted with no impact. How many of us, if honest, feel like we live our lives marked by high levels of energy and busyness with no real impact for the kingdom? I'm sure it's somebody else, not you, right? No man, we all we are so like this. Paul names it. He says, listen, he he says later he says, I beat myself, I beat my body, I discipline my body, I keep it under control. Because he recognized this. It is the tendency of human beings to all of a sudden run aimlessly and to beat into the air and to exert all sorts of energy and busyness with no real impact in life and feel like they are just kind of floundering. All of us probably have our own nunchuck fail reel in life, if we're honest, don't we? Paul's coming and saying, guys, let me challenge you. You don't have to have a numchuck fail. The two things he names are one, fix your eyes on the prize. Aimlessness, boxing the error, byproduct of not having a goal that we're going after. Running and boxing with a real purpose. That's awesome. How many of you, ever, and, I'm, and this is, I'm not ever condoning this, but how many of you, whether you're like boxing or fighting your brother, right? Or or maybe you're like someone picked on you first, and so you're retaliating, defending yourself, and you landed a good punch. Oh, my gosh. I mean, let's just be honest. That feels awesome. Don't do it. All right? But it's like, oh, cute. You're like. All oh, right, right, I mean it's like I'm in a holy field in the flesh, right? And real deal holy field. So in this moment there's something powerful that says if you fix your eyes, if you sit there and then you swing here, a boxer's always looking. There's always an intention, there's always a purpose, there's always a calculated purpose of why they're punching where they're punching. When a runner runs, they know Listen, they're cutting they're cutting as short as they can on the on the here on the straight line, right? They're always looking at the destination, they're not looking around, they're aware. Of where they're going, and that's where they're going. He goes on to say, "Well, let me say this: verse twenty-three. Paul gives gives his destination. It's the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It's the destination. That's what defines him. Second thing we see, verse twenty-five. Every athlete exercises self-control. We must exercise self-control. Self-control is the primary. Listen, this is important. Self control is the primary characteristic that defines an athlete's commitment. No one can make them practice. No one can make them prepare. And no one can press them. They can only be responsible for themselves. They are only responsible for their growth. You can't make me run. I sign. I joke. He wants me to do CrossFit with him. Satan back there, right? No, no. It's like he wants me to do CrossFit with him. And and I'm looking at it, going, my gosh. I mean. That would be miserable, but for me to do is going to take self control, right? I have to actually he cannot make me go to CrossFit He can't make me work out. He can't he can't make me be stupid like that, right? Like I have to make a choice myself to go do these things. Self-control keeps runners focused. Self-control keeps them short. Self-control keeps their eyes focused on the prize. Paul recognized it was not a part of the lives of the Corinthians. And he's saying, self-control... And the dilemma that happens in this, we're like, oh, self control. Sounds like you're saying that I have to do this all on my own strength. And I'm not saying that because if you've ever read Galatians, you know it says this: the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And somebody say it. Oh my goodness. So he says self control, and Paul doesn't think do it yourself. He says this: this is how the fruit of the spirit work. Remember, we go from waning fire to, to, to raging fire. I, I repent. I turn from this and I come back over here. This is what happens. Everybody pay attention so you can see. All right. Jesus, you can't make me repent. I have to choose to turn. And now God, I'm going to exercise self-control. And I take this step like this and God's spirit empowers the step that I take. That's how self-control works That's how the fruit of the Spirit works I make this decision, right? God comes and convicts me I take this step I go self-control Eyes on the prize Raging fire I take this step right here And all of a sudden (sighs) Holy Spirit blows in power And so when I come to the Lord I say this God, I have been running aimlessly again I've been nunchucking it all day long In the air God, I am sorry that I have taken my eyes off of you. I set my gaze back upon you self-control and I ask Jesus for help and self-control to follow and to keep my eyes on the prize when I take off. That's what we're talking about this morning. Paul's coming and saying, guys, Corinthians, it's imperative. It's so important, of utmost importance that you recognize. Self-control is what it takes for an athlete to be good, but the Holy Spirit will come and empower your self-control. to Take the steps of focusing on your gaze upon the pride. And when you find yourself boxing aimlessly, simply turn and ask for grace, God's help, because he wants to love on you and to flow through you again and to move in power in your life. Life. He's coming and saying to us, Paul. The theme and purpose is clear. The Corinthian church, they had to run in such a way as to get the prize. We have one prize. We can't be aimless. We can't be nunchuck failing guy. We have to set our gaze upon Jesus and run to Him and say, Jesus, I choose self-control. Empower me as I run. We have to set our gaze upon the prize. Gordon Fee says this, We have been called to a higher life of service that includes self-control and the willingness to endure hardship as they are inseparably linked. Perhaps too many contemporary quick Christians have lost sight of their heavenly goal and are running aimlessly if they are in the contest at all. Our response this morning, I invite the worship team to come up as we go into our time of prayer and worship. I want us to have a response this morning to this message Because Paul is coming and saying You either have your eyes set It's really simple You either have your eyes set On the prize Or you don't Like it's really simple there's no, Like it's real clear Which makes it great Because there's only two choices And I work best in those Do it this way or this way Let's choose this way, because I don't want to be a nunchuck fail guy. It was ridiculous. He looked stupid. Boxers look like idiots. Don't look like an idiot, right? <laughs> Land your punches in the spirit. Set your eyes on the gaze and affection on Jesus, knowing that He is good, He is your Father, He loves you, He is the good news, and He is fully for you, and He is with you, and He's empowering you, and He's challenging you. Let's set our gaze on the bonfire of Jesus, and let's be the bonfire, and let's have that relationship Three responses, questions you need to ask yourself And they're going to be on the screen for you And you can process these I would just say, John, when they begin to lead worship Just leave the questions there And we can just kind of listen to the words as we go, okay? Number one, honestly, what is your prize you run for every day? Feel free to take a picture of this Pray into it this week Honestly, what is your prize you run for every day? Like, it's just really healthy You need to know what your goal is What's the purpose of you living? Do you know what it is? Like, what defines most of your thought process? Is your prize condemnation because all you do is think about how guilty you are for the Lord all day. And so you just have a, you have a, like a goal of being a terrible person and thinking you're bad. That's not good. God loves you. He's for you. You are his kid. He loves you. What is it for you? Number two, how well are you running? Runners run to their ability, not another's. Listen. The great thing about runners, like AK is a runner. She started running at Mount Perrin. she's really good at running, okay? And she takes off, and she was running 800 the other day, and there was this girl who was even better than her. She ran in 238, half a mile in 2 minutes and 38 seconds. My dad is a 17-year-old junior ran it in 220 at six foot four, 175 pounds. She's fast. Okay. And she's running this race and someone finishes before her. I didn't go, Oh my gosh, you lost. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you ran the best of your ability. That was awesome. You know what happened? The other boys that finished 45 seconds behind her and they ran through the line to the best of their ability. Like, no, oh, you won the prize. That was awesome. That's dad for us. Right? How How well are you running? You don't have to run as well as I run. You run as well as you can run. Does that make sense? And you guys say, I don't even know what that looks like for me. Then that's what you're asking the Lord for. What does it look like for you? How well are you running? What does it look like for you run the race with the prize of Jesus? What does that look like for you? It's different for you than it is for me. Third thing, how well are you exercising self-control? It's necessary to your kingdom success. I recognize crossroad. I need to turn this direction now, Jesus. Think of it like a sail. Right? Pay attention. You turn. You do like this. And it's like a sail. And the Holy Spirit just goes like this. And I pray like this. Holy Spirit, I can't exercise self-control today in my own strength. I need your help. Come today. And help me not to. Run aimlessly And box like an idiot That's how I pray with Jesus All right, So I'm inviting you to this time with the Lord this morning We're officially done So if you need to go Hey we love you Have a great week And we will see you soon But we're going to stay In time of worship Don't forget to sign up before you leave Okay For either foster care help Or to sign up for our infusion group I'm going to ask you we come to this time of worship. These questions are going to be here. You can do a couple of things. You can just stay in your seat and process with the Lord. You can come forward. We have ministry teams. We'll be here in a second. They're going to come up and they'd love to pray with you. We prayed in the first service for a lot of people saying, I just need help in this area. Man, we want to pray with you. Some people, we led them in a prayer of repentance. Saying, I'm not ready to be. I know I'm not ready to be. I said, well, I'm not going to pray for you until you pray. You go talk to Dad. Tell him you're sorry. And then we're going to pray the Holy Spirit would inflame you to run the race that before you now. So, when come and do that, those of you who don't know who are new to vintage, pay attention real quick. These are offering baskets. In this time of ministry, we invite people who come prepared to give, to give in these. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward because it's awkward, there's a box right there. You can put it right in the top right there, and you can give your offering as an act of obedience and worship before the Lord. And we have communion available. Every Sunday, and communion is the, this physical expression and example of the good news of Jesus. And as we take it, we're saying, Jesus, I embrace the full picture of your good news, and I make it my prize. Because you're awesome. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we ask now for grace to step into this. As we worship, and I pray, Jesus, as we worship, That you would move in power. Father, you are good. Empower our response now in Jesus' name. Amen.